There are two dilemmas that rattle the human skull. How do you hold on to someone who won't stay? And how do you get rid of someone who won't go? From Pod 617 Productions, it's Shine On, a presentation of Berkman, Botker, Newman, and Shine. Now here's your host, attorney Evan Shine. Episode 24 of the Shine On Podcast, I'm Evan Shine. As always, I'm joined by legendary, all-world podcast producer, <laughs> David Yass. And David, look, I have to start today's episode with a story because, quite frankly, it's too good not to share. The other day, I'm sitting outside having a cup of coffee, prepping for my morning court appearance at Oslo. Great coffee shop on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Somebody comes up to me, sits down next to me, and we start talking. Apparently, he's a fan of the podcast. He hasn't listened to every episode, but he's listened to three or four episodes. And that's not even the best part. Ten minutes into the conversation, Mm -hmm. he says, tell me about this guy, producer Dave. And I... (laughs) Now you're just making, you're making this up. You're making this up. True story. And I have to tell you, like Cher, Beyonce, Bono, (laughs) and just a few others. Producer Dave, you've reached the elite first name only status that only a handful of people have been able to attain. Well, I'm humbled. But what I take away from that story is it's just hard for you to keep away from the fans. I mean, you're just, you're just, you're innocently trying to have a cup of coffee and here comes a fan of shine on the podcast. I mean, I don't know how you do it. Dave, I appreciate that, but look, for this moment, the spotlight was on All right, I get it. I get it. He he likes producer Dave. Well, we do it for the fans, don't we, Evan? I mean, we do do it for pride, and we do it for the fans. So thank you, loyal listener, whoever you are. Absolutely, Dave. Look, moving from the great producer Dave to the great show we have today and a combination of a TV and movie docket segment Mm. that I am absolutely fired up for, I will tell you what. We are about to put a big red bow on the month. Of, and this has been a month of going back, going back to some sense of normalcy, or at least trying to regain some sense of routine. Back to school for so many, back to the office for others, back to the football field with the start of the NFL season. And for me, it was going back to the courtroom for my first in-person court appearance since March 6th. 2020. Let me give that date again. March 6th, 2020. Wow. It's incredible. And that's right. For the first time, I stepped back into a courtroom for the very first time since March 2020. And take a moment and think back to what life was like for you at that time. I mean, producer Dave, we didn't even know each other in March of 2020. <laughs> it's crazy. It's crazy. It's it's like time has has in a way it's it's lagged on during this pandemic in another way it's kind of like it stood still like it's just one immense pause that we had you know and all those feelings i felt a few weeks ago when i walked up the steps at the famous courthouse in new york city in downtown lower manhattan those steps that you see on law and order mm-hmm. leading up to the picturesque courthouse it was like returning home after being away for for a very 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 long time And it was a return filled with incredible excitement. And at the same time, it was a return that was a lot different from courtroom life pre-pandemic. See, for years, this was my home. 60 Center Street in Lower Manhattan and 60 Lafayette Street, the respective homes of the Supreme and Family Courts in Manhattan, 
separated by the absolute best coffee cart in New York City. It was good to see that he's still there. <laughs> but pre-pandemic, I would joke that I spend more time in a courtroom than my own living room. And it was so great to be back. But I'll tell you what, things were different and they were noticeably and understandably different. Look, it started with the night before, where in addition to packing my bag and file and case notes, a pen, my lucky blue highlighter, <laughs> I packed extra masks. And while things were different in New York City, masks are required by everyone inside the courthouse at this time. Judges, court staff, attorneys, the litigants, the jury line that usually wraps around the building, it didn't exist. The halls were empty. The benches had signs, one person only. Wow. I couldn't even sit on a bench with my client to talk about the case. Mm. The hallways outside the judges' courtrooms that used to be filled with attorneys and clients, 20 people, 30 people, 40 people, depending on the day, didn't exist. Mm. Did not exist. And as exciting as it was to be back in person, to be back home, to be back inside a courtroom where I used to spend so many of my days it was also a pretty painful reminder that we're really not even close to being truly back to the way things were. And so far, this was my only in-person court appearance. Everything is still being litigated virtually, virtual platforms, Microsoft Teams. But it got me thinking, what is litigation going to look like in the future? Is it going to be a hybrid of in-person and virtual court appearances? Will it be a full return to in-person court appearances? the way the courthouse and the court system functioned forever before the pandemic. What is it going to look like? What do we want it to look like? Judges, their thoughts, the perspective from the attorneys, the thoughts of the parties who are going through a high conflict and emotionally filled divorce. Is it better to be in person? Is it better to do this virtually? And we're going to look at this, Dave, in upcoming episodes. And before we get to this week's docket, I want to give some quick takes of some other things that are on my mind and things that are happening in the world of divorce. There was a great article in the New York Times by John Karamonica about Casey Musgraves, titled The Casey Musgraves Divorce Hour. And I know you're a big fan of Casey Musgraves. You love country music. You love everything about Nashville. <laughs> a little, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but she's, like put out her, she's put out her fourth studio, al studio album titled Starcrossed. And the album is apparently about her marriage, her relationship, memories, regret, and so much more. And we've talked about on prior episodes, whether it's been Kelly Clarkson, Ben Affleck, or others who have taken their personal experiences and channeled those experiences into works of art, music, a book, something with incredible meaning. And while I haven't listened to the album yet, I'll trust <laughs> from your way reviews that this is an album that I can't miss. And producer Dave, I know you have something special cooked up on this week's docket mm -hmm. and coming up after the docket my interview with our featured guests Karen Chalou and Catherine Shanahan of My Divorce Solution. We are going to tackle financial fears and concerns that many people have when starting a divorce proceeding and while going through it. This is an interview that you're not going to want to miss. Well, Evan, as you mentioned, another media version of the docket, which I'm excited for. Are you ready, my friend? Let's do it, Dave. All right. Now, let's see what's on the docket. All right, we have assembled 
a mix of clips for this episode, Evan, all having to do with divorce, and they come from mainly TV shows, but one movie is mixed in there, and all exemplifying some aspect of divorce. First up, the TV show The Affair. We were just talking before we started recording about how you and I happen to both be fans of the show. You enjoyed it? Big fans. Big fans. Look, I I know there's a lot of mixed feelings about the show. Some people loved it. Some people didn't like it. Some people felt that it took an eternity between each season. (laughs) Yeah. I was a fan of it. I loved it. So this is a scene where the main character, our hero, played by, I've already forgotten his name, Dominic West. He is talking to his therapist, played by that actress from Sex and the City who ran for Senate, Cynthia Nixon. Anyway, let's take a listen to this and then... We will get your thoughts, Evan. Here we go. You were attracted to other people during your 20 years with Helen. You say that like it's a fact. Oh, then you weren't. Well, well, of course I was. And did you ever act on it? No, you know that. I. No, I, I was faithful except for Allison. Then why are you so afraid you would act on it now? Because it's different. Because of Allison, because you've already done it once. This is not uncommon in people whose relationships began as affairs. This fear that because you've strayed once, you might do it again. I almost did. You almost had sex with Lucy. No, no, not with Lucy. With my publicist, Eden, that goddamn night of the hurricane. The one we've been over and over and over. Well, I I left things out. So there's the clip. And, of course, our main character there is already divorced and is confiding to his therapist about the affair and the almost affair, (laughs) the second almost, but the affair, uh, which is the subject and title of the show is obviously the reason for that led directly to his divorce. So what, what, what do you think of when you see this clip, Evan? Dave, I got to ask you, how do you almost forget Dominic West's name? (laughs) What an absolute legend. (laughs) I know. I just call him the guy McNulty from the wire. Usually. (laughs) <laughs> Another great show. And yeah, look, right. the characters in the affair, Noah Soloway, Helen Soloway, Allison, Scott Lockhart, brilliant. And the writing on this show was tremendous. It's a show about family, dysfunction, affairs, lives torn apart, and really pulled in so many different directions from all perspectives. The parents, the children's, and everybody in their circles. The show tackles the emotional and psychological storylines of an affair between Noah Soloway, Dominic West, and Allison Bailey, played by Ruth Wilson, and the impact of that affair on the lives and families and everyone who touches their relationship. The scene that you just played and a tremendous performance by Cynthia Nixon playing the role of Noah Soloway's therapist, it's as real as it gets. Look, a takeaway from this season and this scene, it's the importance of working with a professional. Noah does this. He pours his heart out and he tells of his inner conflict. And he lets us know it's okay not to be okay and and seek help. And we've had tremendous guests on the show, therapists such as Elizabeth Cohen, the divorce doctor, Daphne DeMarneff, Catherine Woodward Thomas, therapists, psychologists who see people often at their worst and really at a crossroads in their lives. And it's, it's of particular interest to see how the road gets traveled when you're working with a professional. And we know how the ending the affair goes mm-hmm. and so it's particularly interesting to see sort of a flashback to this episode and then everything that happens in noah's lives and the lives of his family that, that is a great takeaway from that clip that just the importance of working with professionals because it's not only is is going through something like you're headed for a divorce you're having an affair 
It's not the kind of thing you talk to anybody about, really. I mean, it. I mean, divorce has stigma around it. So if you're considering divorce, you might not want to just mention that to anyone. So to have, and I was there, and I certainly had a therapist, and it helps to get it out. We have another clip from the affair, Evan, and in this one, we kind of hear the other side of the story. In a matter of speaking, it's it's Mara Tierney, the actress who plays Dominic West's ex-wife in the show, and she is talking about the sort of fallout from her divorce with her mother. So let's take a look at this one. We're in the middle of a custody battle, for God's sake. Actually, we're not anymore. We're splitting custody, we've agreed. Helen, I can't let you do that. I think you're making a terrible mistake, an irreversible, irresponsible mistake. I don't fucking care what you think. My son almost died today because I listened to you. Oh, for God's sake. Oh, yes. You kept insisting it was all in his head and made me feel like a pathetic, crazy... And the whole time it was so obvious he was very, very sick. And I listened to you. I always fucking listen to you. And you talk and you talk and you talk until your voice is the only thing in my head and I cannot even think straight. So, first of all, great performance by Mara Tierney in that scene. I hope you'd agree. She's from Boston. She's from Boston, by the way. And, and you um, know what? I, I didn't know that. Yeah. It, it, I didn't know she was from Boston, but I'll tell you, she was incredible. Really? I mean, yeah. Maura Tierney was my wife's favorite character on the show. She mm-hmm. was absolutely brilliant. She, yeah, fantastic. And I get this is an emotional scene. And when the, you know, the parents are going to get involved in divorce like this, and we don't always think about that. But what were your thoughts in looking at that scene? My first thought was Maura Tierney did an incredible job holding her family together. Her and Noah had three children. They went through a lot as a couple. They went through a lot as parents. She was the absolute glue and rock for that family, as you see from season one to the finale, holding so much together. Good for her. Good for her in this clip, standing up to her mother. And look, it is so difficult when people are going through a divorce and everybody hears different things from the people closest to them, friends have a take and opinion. Family has a take and an opinion. A therapist, your trainer, anyone and everyone under the sun wants to weigh in as to how your divorce should be handled and what you should pursue during the divorce. So good for her for standing up to her mother and telling her mother, you know what? No one I were able to resolve custody. We're going to share custody. We're going to split custody because despite what the two of them went through as parents, the children are going to be in their lives for years to come. So good for her for putting her children first, which look, if you've watched the affair, could not have been easy given everything that Noah put her through during the course of their relationship and marriage with an affair of his own. Next, we have a scene from the movie Marriage Story, and I wanted to get at least one courtroom scene in here. So we've got a scene where the divorcing couple is in court along with their counsel and the divorcing couple played by Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson and the attorneys played by the ever irascible Ray Liotta and, and the ever, I don't know what competent uh, Laura Dern. Anyway, let's, t- <laughs> let's take a l- listen to this courtroom clip from the film Marriage Story. Ramshackle downtown dump when you're arguing custody, but when you want more money, He's a big, rich, genius Broadway director. You can't have it both ways. Really? Why not? And whether you think it's fair or not, Jay, 
The first monetary installment from the MacArthur grant was put into a joint marital account and thus became community property. Put that so this in a joint account? There's not going to be anything left anyway. I'm using it all to divorce her. Nora, I have to say that your account of this marriage takes place in an alternate reality. <laughs> By suddenly moving to L.A., and insisting on an L.A. residence, Nicole is withholding Henry, Counsel, please alienating him from his father, which has turned Charlie's world upside down. It Counselor. amounts to an ambush. Withholding, Jay? Really? Alienating? All right. Well, those are fighting words, and it's simply false and does nothing to further this settlement. Your recap of this situation is outrageous. And although California is without doubt a no-fault state, it bears mentioning in the accurate recap of this situation that Charlie had had extramarital affairs. An extramarital affair. Do you really want me to go there? Yeah, let's go there. Okay. Nicole has admitted to hacking Charlie's computer and reading his emails, which, if proven, is a felony. And, Nora, I don't think you'll be too happy if I ask Nicole about her alcohol consumption in the evenings. What? She confided in Charlie one night recently, having just carried Henry to bed, that she was having trouble standing while walking down the staircase. And from what I understand, this is not an isolated event. So you let me know, Nora. We'll go there as needed. Plenty of drama in that courtroom. And a lot going on, and you can see, or our listeners can't see the faces of the uh, actors, of course, but you can just sort of see the tension rising in the married couple and Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson. It's almost like they didn't intend to end up here, maybe, and all of a sudden the gloves are off. So what are your thoughts? Hey, this is why I need to give you a raise, because clips like this are absolutely (laughs) tremendous. You picked an, an incredible courtroom scene, and... You hit the nail on the head. We can't see the faces of Scarlett Johansson and Adam Driver, who brilliantly played the clients and divorcing couple in this movie. But if you can't, you would see just how disgusted they are with the behavior of their attorneys Mm -hmm. and the mudslinging and really what this turned into. And look, this is the lawyer show right here. And you Mm -hmm. talk about putting on a show for your clients. This, This scene really shows that the mudslinging, the name calling, the dirt that gets aired, alcohol, affairs, things that the clients, if you watch the movie, they did not want their attorneys to bring up. Now, when this movie came out in 2019, I was asked no less than 20 times, (laughs) Evan, is this real life? Is this scene that far off? And the answer is, in many ways, this is reality. In many ways, clients need to be prepared for what happens. Things get said in a courtroom that you can't walk back. Experts get appointed, claims come out, allegations of substance abuse, extramarital affairs. And look, when this movie came out, there was, so you saw people comment from both sides. It was an accurate de- depiction. It was an unfair depiction. But, but in my experience as a litigator, in many ways, it was spot on. And I think everybody needs to be aware, not only of what each court appearance is going to look like if people choose to litigate, but really what's ahead. What does the litigation road look like? What does the litigation journey look like? And to give Adam Driver credit, he makes a joke to, to his attorney, Ray Liotta, and says, look, at the rate we're going, all the money, doesn't matter if the account is a joint account, the separate account, the marital account, mm-hmm. there's not going to be anything left to divide because it's going to be spent 
fighting this divorce. <laughs> and so, and we've talked with Susan Guthrie about mediation on episode 15. There's a lot of different ways to resolve your divorce. Some ways are better, more amicable, and sometimes definitely less expensive than going through a knockdown drag out litigation. I take it in your, when you work with clients, I take it this is the type of moment that it would be preferable of you if you avoid because it just, it just seems like what as Adam Driver character cynically points out all the money is going to the lawyers and I take it on the other hand you must have cases where you are invited into the mud by the by the other attorney so how do you how do you deal with that can you step back and communicate with your client and take a measured approach where others might just start sparring Love the question. Look, it comes down to approach. It comes down to attorney. It comes down to strategy. Part of it is once you get into a back and forth, you're losing the judge. You're losing the focus. You're losing your client's goals, right? Because you're getting into this boxing ring and and you're losing the purpose of really what you're there for. And so to me, you always try to rise above. You always try to not even give credit to things that don't even warrant calling attention to, right? Before every court appearance, there, there is you prep for it, you plan for it, you have a strategy, and it's sort of like sports, right? Sometimes if you spend too much time worrying about the other side's game plan and playing defensive, you lose sight of what you want to achieve. And once you enter that mudslinging battle and going tit for tat, judges don't want to deal with it. Mm. You, you frustrate the judge. They can't focus on the substance. And guess what? Your client gets a large bill. The case gets pushed off for many months. And what did you accomplish? So I always take and try to take a different approach when I'm in court. And I think it's an approach that not only do my clients appreciate, but I know the judges appreciate as well. Mm. Well, the final clip takes us back, Evan. This is a TV show that I watched and was inspired to go to law school from watching, which is, I tell you, young folks out there, not necessarily the best reason to go to law school, but nevertheless, (laughs) L.A. Law was a very popular show, a very entertaining show, and the head of the divorce department in the the law firm of uh, Mackenzie Brackman was Corbin Bernson's character, Arnie Becker. And so this scene is going to take us to a moment where Arnie is with his client, the husband in the case, and talking to counsel for the wife and the wife. In uh, They're in a conference room here, so these are kind of like settlement talks or whatnot. But let's take a listen to this old clip. Now, as for the cars, we propose Mr. Ordover retain ownership of the Mercedes, Mrs. Ordover the Thunderbird, and the Jetta wagon to be sold as previously agreed, proceeds to be split between the parties. That's a 57 Thunderbird in pristine condition. I put in hundreds of hours of work on Fine. it. Fine. You want the Thunderbird, you give me back your half of the timeshare in Boulder. What? That's outrageous. Arnie, just give her the timeshare, John. What? The values are roughly comparable. You don't even use the condo that much. Just give her the stupid timeshare. Let's move on. Item number 134, limited edition Saragraph Thomas Doherty. Number 22 and an addition of 200. This was Mr. Ordover's separate property prior to his marriage. Which was converted to Mrs. Ordover's property when he presented it to her as a gift. I'd like to see you prove that. Oh, come on, John, people, we can gift. work this out. Doesn't that mean anything to you? You never even liked the damn handshake. You are not getting the It's just a damn See? It doesn't bleed when you cut it. They don't fly when you drop them. They are things. They are just property. No matter how expensive it is, no matter how much you love it, they will never love you back. Is this what it all comes down to? Just a just a division of property? Itemizing silverware and furniture. Arnie, 
Calm down. Take it easy. It's not the best acting, maybe, but I remember the show more fondly than that recounts. But a rare moment of the divorce lawyer kind of flying off the handle, and but for unusual reasons, because the others, the, the parties aren't getting along. Kind of a little bit of a role reversal from the last clip we saw. But could be a lot of things here, Evan. But what do you th- what do you think? What was your reaction? Dave, look, you took out the time machine for, yeah. for this for this show and this episode. And look, it feels like a lifetime ago the show was on the air. Yeah. But what a clip. I mean, yeah. you mentioned this was the reason you went to law school. I mean, I'm surprised it didn't make you not go to law school. <laughs> I was a mixed up youth. <laughs> it glamorized the law, famously written by a former Boston lawyer, David E. Kelly. And what the show was good at, though, was providing little snippets of what it was like to be a lawyer and some of the interesting issues involved. Not not always so tactfully. But anyway, I take it you've never just almost destroyed your office, which is what Arnie just did. (laughs) I've never almost destroyed my office. But look, when people talk about it, got me thinking, what's the personal property as I look at my career that I've spent dealing with, negotiating, blenders, bowls? whatever it may be. And you have to wonder, are these things made out of gold? I mean, it's Mm -hmm. amazing what people fight over and argue over. And look, I deal with people's lives all the time, the good, the bad, the ugly. It's, it's a tremendous responsibility. And to me, you have to absolutely love it or it's not the line of work for you and personal property. This is the type of stuff that you really want your clients to be able to work through, especially the small stuff. The art collection, fine. The wine collection, I get it. The rare baseball card collection or sports car collection. Get the appraisals. Get the valuations. It makes all the sense in the world. But they were up to, I think, number 156 of a personal property checklist. It makes your head spin. Mm. Most of which I'm guessing, if we went through it, has a nominal value. And look, if the parties can't agree on things like this, the bigger question I have what does it say about their ability to co-parent going forward? Sometimes it's about picking your spots, picking your battles, looking at the big picture and realizing that like it or not, you're going to have to deal with your soon to be ex in some capacity going forward. And if it means giving him or her the blender, give it to her. If it means giving the other side, the toaster, trust me when I tell you, give up the toaster, go buy yourself a new one. Our featured guests this week on episode 24 of the Shine On podcast are Karen Shalou and Catherine Shanahan. They're of My Divorce Solution. They help take the mystery and mystique out of the money conversation for anyone going through the divorce process. Their financial approach and process for clients, it's an absolute game changer, and we're going to get into it on today's episode. My Divorce Solution has been featured in national publications and has been recognized all over for helping people turn a time of financial chaos into a period of financial clarity. It's my absolute pleasure to welcome both Karen and Catherine to the podcast. How are you? Great. Great. How are you? I'm doing great. And it's an absolute pleasure to have both of you on. And I want to start the conversation by going back to my opening. And one of the words I used to describe the divorce process was chaotic. That feeling that so many people have in the beginning of the divorce journey walking down the path of divorce, feeling uneasy, feeling lost, feeling scared. And the truth is you can probably substitute in so many other words, fearful, alone. But now when you start thinking about money, 
you take those feelings I mentioned and you take them to a whole new level. And when I hear the word solution, I think to myself, what was the problem? And your company is called My Divorce Solution. So I want to ask you, Karen, starting with you, what was the problem or that in your experience, having been through the process yourself, you saw that needed to be fixed? Wow, that's an excellent question. And I'm glad you're addressing it because the problem in most divorces, and I'm going to say in 99.9% of divorces, is while one spouse or the other may have financial acuity, for lack of a better term, the other spouse does not. And even if you do, most people do not know how finances play through in the divorce process from the court's perspective, from financial perspective, from tax perspective, from projections perspective. And so you put all of it on the table and while one spouse or the other or both may think they have it figured out, they're in for a huge surprise. And so in my own experience, I had the best attorneys available to me, but that didn't mean I had financial clarity and it didn't mean I knew what, how to make the best financial decisions for myself. Karen, you mentioned surprise, and and Catherine, I want to ask you to piggyback off Karen's answer. When you hear surprise, what is it that you find when you consult with clients at the beginning of the divorce journey? What's the surprise? What's the misconception? What's the concern that people have at the beginning, that if they had the benefit of the financial education, the financial knowledge, the process, the journey would be that much more different? I think the surprise would be that if they obtain the financial knowledge and got the financial clarity from the beginning, their process would be so much better. A lot of times my ex and I were both financials. So we came from the financial world and we negotiated our own agreement. And I have an accounting degree and I'm very comfortable around money, but the conversation was more of a listen, we're not looking to screw each other over here financially. Let's talk about it and talk it through, right? But there's still a mistrust there. So knowing that in this process, a lot of people don't have the access to that information. So the mistrust starts a battle that doesn't necessarily have to start. So if you allow the access for the information to both parties, and gain the knowledge that you need to make really smart decisions, your process will be really different. And I think if we talk to people that have hindsight right now, they probably would say, I wish I would have started the process differently. Catherine, one of the things that you mentioned, which I think is brilliant, you talk about your own experience and how both you and your ex-husband had financial backgrounds, but that's not always the case for everybody. Usually there might be one spouse who doesn't feel as comfortable with numbers or talking about money or doesn't have the financial knowledge and experience that let's say their spouse does in a situation where a couple is entering the divorce journey and going on that process, but they're not on an equal playing field. When you work with people in that situation, how do you advise them? Well, listen, we need a uniformity of information that's being shared from by everybody to the whole entire team. Because if you're not comparing apples to apples, how do you make a really good decision? right? You end up making an emotional decision. Or if you're not the spouse who had is privy to the information or made those decisions, it doesn't mean you're not savvy enough. It just means you were never given that opportunity. So when we give clients the opportunity to have a safe space of disclosing their information together, 
And then we get to go through the interpretation of all the components of all of their assets. It gives them the ability to know what their options are to make that compromise, making it informed, not emotional. And so we really pride ourselves and then really are inspired by our clients to see their transformation when they could go forward to make really good decisions by just having that knowledge. And Karen, Catherine mentions the word emotion, and I'm sure you see it. I know I see it. So many people during the divorce process, emotion dictates decisions. And I think that's a very dangerous thing, but it's something that can't be ignored because divorce is such an emotional time. There's so many thoughts. It's a time of transition. How do you, Karen, when you work with your clients, help people separate the emotional aspect of going through a divorce and the ability to focus on making arguably the most important financial decisions for themselves and possibly their children? Right. So I think most people approach divorce from an emotional perspective, especially on the onset, because they are emotionally attached to different assets. So let's... A lot of moms, women are attached attached to the marital home. That's just how it is. And they want to preserve it and they want to stay there for the kids. Some people are attached to their pension. Some people are attached to a variety of assets. Never debt, of course. <laughs> Emotionally. <laughs> I've never heard anybody who wants to take on the $200,000 debt, right? <laughs> Me neither. We may have to address that negative emotion in another podcast. But the the emotion to the assets is real. And so it's really important as soon as possible to understand that emotional justice doesn't really exist in the divorce process or in the courtroom. So understanding that divorce really is a transaction and to be able to get there and, and not say it's mine or I want this, but understanding that if you want this, and if it's that important to you, then this is the offset. This is the compromise you're going to have to make. And sometimes it's not even possible. So understanding that and and minimizing the emotional attachment on the outset is super important. And we can help clients accomplish that by going through their budget and by going through all their assets and by helping them understand that half of a house is not the same as half of a pension, which is not the same as half of a business entity or half of anything and helping them understand how everything plays forward. And once you understand that, if you still want the home and give up everything else or give up another asset, then that's up to you and you're welcome to do that. But our goal is to help you understand what you're giving up when you're holding on to something emotionally. Catherine, Karen touched on the process about getting people from the beginning of the journey, walking them through, helping them understand assets, finances, money. Give us an inside look into your process. I know my divorce solution has an absolutely incredible financial portrait, really a financial blueprint to help divorcing couples make smart, educated financial decisions, not decisions as Karen talked about based on fear or anxiety but decisions based on actual financial information. Tell us more about your financial blueprint and how you help clients get to that place. Yeah, thank you for asking that because it's really important, again, for you to make really smart decisions by knowing what you have, what you need. And again, like Karen said, what you might want emotionally. And so our process allows you to enter into an unbiased 
judgment-free zone where you are giving us your data. We are allowing you to give us your emotions to it. So when somebody comes in and says, I want my boat that I got, we say, okay, can we have the documentation for your boat, the ownership paperwork, basically. And we turn that my boat into the Yamaha 350, which I don't even know if it's a boat or just a motorcycle, but I'm just throwing that out there. I'm either a boat person or a motorcycle person. So, you know, you could have told me anything and I would have said, that sounds great. So we, we transform their decision-making into the data instead of the emotion. And so we'll footnote, husband feels it's his boat because wife bought it for him three years ago. So their attorney or their mediator will see in a footnote or a consideration that he feels like that's his property or, or, or what have you. So throughout that process, both are able to provide their information in the format that they're comfortable with. And then when we do a review with them, we speak about all the assets and anything involved. For example, the 401k, why was this loan taken out? I don't know. I didn't even know we had a loan on that 401k. So as we're talking to both parties, if we have both parties there, now one has to disclose where the loan went to. You remember we paid off the debt, that furniture you bought. Oh, okay. Now I remember. So now something that was really contentious, they're now agreeing. That's why they did that. And our footnotes are there for their next professional to see, and they don't have to tell that story again. So they're already detaching a little bit for any anger that they have or for any misrepresentation of any assets that they thought they had. And so in that, it typically will take us six weeks if they follow our process directly. Within that six-week time period, they're, they're reestablishing what their new relationship might be like post-divorce. So sometimes during that process, and you as an attorney knows that you could be arguing or disputing many things throughout the process, right? So when we're collecting the data, we've had instances where spouse says, I'm not giving any more information because she won't let me have the kids this weekend, right? So we then say, well, your solution in this moment is to go meet your mediator, your attorney, and talk out a parenting plan. But as you do that, we're going to continue collecting your financial data. So we're always moving them forward in a positive direction, whatever that might be for the couple. And I really think it leads to a better process, again, in the end, saving them a lot of time, money, and stress. Not only does it lead to a better process, but to me, as I'm listening to you describe it, it makes all the sense in the world. Now, I'm wondering, how much does fear play into it? Because I want to talk about and shift to the fears and the financial concerns that people and so many people have at the beginning of the divorce process. I know I see this with my clients. People come in, I meet them, they sit across from me in my office, and the financial concerns, fears, and worries, they're real in the short term and the long term. And the questions that I hear from my clients are, will my lifestyle be able to continue? Will my children still be able to attend private school? Will I be able to keep the house? How much financial support can I expect to receive? What's going to happen to my business? And the questions range from some of the most financially sophisticated questions about stock options and businesses to the most financially basic questions, because everybody has a different level of financial sophistication. But what do you see, Karen, that are the most common financial fears and concerns that the people you speak to and the people you meet have at the beginning? Hands down. Am I going to be okay? Am I, to your point, am I going to have to change my lifestyle? Am I going to be able to pay my bills? What is it going to look like? We go through this every day with our clients. And I, my approach with them, because I 
my role is and the legal liaison role is to help with identifying the real estate aspects of it and helping them with their budget, helping them collect their documents. I don't know where to find my deed or I don't know how to download this document. Can you help me? So that's pretty much the legal liaison role. So I'm with them a lot in the beginning of the process. So my encouragement to them is let's take it one step at a time. And with every step you take, you're going to learn more and you're going to know more and you're going to you're going to continue to see the path forward more clear with every step you take. So let's just break it down and let's deconstruct it and take one step at a time. And that really does well to minimize a lot of the fears that people have because I could, I went through the same thing myself. Am I going to be okay? How is this all going to work out? Am I making the biggest mistake of my life? And so going through our process, you're not committing to anything. You're just getting the financial clarity. And so that becomes a relief for a lot of people as well. I want to piggyback off that if I can, Evan. Absolutely, of course. Um, Because I told you earlier that I came from the financial background and so did my ex. And so the the fears weren't, what can I do? I I knew that we'd be, I'd be okay, right? But the, the other fear that's really huge, and I think that it is given no merit to, is that there is a fear of making a decision not based on a spouse or your family. And so it's a very weird feeling that when you're married 20 years, and then the next thing that comes up, if you're going to, I went into renting a townhome at first, and then I went to buying a townhome, then to buying a home. But to making making that decision by yourself, even if you have the money to do it, is scary because you're not used to it. You're used to having somebody else to discuss that decision these big purchases, buying a car, should I be buying that car? Like, who are you talking to about that? If you no longer have this spouse of 20 or 20 plus years, that's very scary. So again, our process, because we come from the knowledge base, when we go through each asset, we give recommendations and considerations to everything that's involved with that asset, even from transferring the title to a car who you should go and who are the experts that you should go to to get this information from changing your will to changing anything, right? Who should you go to? So I find that post-divorce, that document, again, is like your security blanket because at the end of the process, everybody goes away. And again, that fear then jumps back in like, oh my God, who do I go to about the car? I forget what they said. Let's be honest. They don't want to call their attorney because they don't want to pay another bill, right? So they get to go back to our document and go to that page and say, oh, here's the resource I should go to for that. They don't feel alone again. And so I'm really proud of that part of our, our, our portrait because I think that people need that moving on into their new independent life. Yeah. And Catherine, you mentioned the independence and people moving forward, but let's take a step back because and, and talk about the dynamics in marriages and the dynamics in relationships. And I've talked about in prior episodes about financial control and October is national domestic violence awareness month. And I'm sure you see it in your line of work. I know I see it in what I do, the fear of being so financially dependent on someone and someone exercising financial control and financial power over someone that you end up staying in an unhealthy, unsafe relationship based on what we're talking about, financial fear. And I've had a psychologist previously on a prior episode to talk about this topic, and I'm seeing it more and more in my work. What's problematic about this type of financial relationship, not only during the course of marriage, but 
when people are contemplating and thinking about moving forward, gaining that independence that you're talking about? There's financial infidelity and there's also financial abuse. They're both real. And if you're listening to this podcast, we have empathy because we see it more often than not. And people don't talk about it because people who don't think that they have a financial crisis don't like to talk about money. So imagine the people that know they have a financial crisis. They don't want to talk about money. The problem is, is that that's a big, huge mistrust, just like with any kind of crisis, right? So when you're going on to your new independent life, you might be buying things to, for your happiness. You, were, you didn't have a fulfilled marriage emotionally. So to overcome financial abuse or financial infidelity, the best step is to, I was mentioned a little bit earlier, is to recreate a money story with yourself. It's okay if you didn't have control of your finances before and somebody was controlling you. This is your new start to your new life and treat it that way. Start with your budgeting. Start with establishing goals, financial goals, and overcome the control that you had because you deserve better and this is your way to do it. What are the financial pitfalls that someone needs to know to avoid at the beginning of a divorce? Karen. The first financial pitfall that I would piggyback off of Catherine is not to be afraid to own financial clarity. I think some people who have not, does not have the financial sophistication as you as their spouse or and they don't feel on par with their spouse, they, they tend to defer to, oh, that person's going to get angry with me. Or if I make this decision, that person's going to get mad or or I'm going to have to ask that my spouse, which if you're in a divorce, a lot of times, especially litigious arrangement, you're not going to get the best advice. So to allow yourself to have financial clarity is a huge step. Even if you don't get it right the first, second, or third time, or even if you don't really know how to process the information right out of the gate, you will become empowered and confident if you allow yourself to have the financial clarity. Because- when you're dividing any asset or when you're talking about negotiating alimony or child support or whatever the it may be, it's important that you know what you're dealing with, the details, the considerations, and that you have the right advice. Otherwise, you are going to end up ready for trial and not know how to make decisions. It's so... I, we. We see a lot of people getting into the process and thinking somebody else is going to take care of it for me. My attorney's got that all covered. Well, your attorney is reliant upon you to be coming along in the process so that you can make the decisions best for yourself. Because Evan, I'm sure you say to your clients, what is it that you want? Because if they don't know what they want, how do you help them get there? Absolutely. And one of the first things I do is I sit down with my clients and I ask, what are your goals? The short-term goals, the long-term goals, because then it helps me put a legal plan in place, a financial plan that the two of you work on with clients, the legal plan, really put a plan in place in terms of what are the next six months going to look like? What's the next year going to look like? And then what's life going to look like beyond that for yourself and for your children? You know what, though, but Evan, I want to just piggyback there too, is because one thing that you do that I love is that as an attorney, you value what financial knowledge does to your client and you value putting it out there. You're really direct and putting it out there by saying, listen, yeah, I could fight forever for this with you and I could take you down this rabbit hole, but, but is it really worth it to you? Because is your estate even worth that? Like, do you even have the money to support that? 
because you know that the one thing that drives me crazy you asked that earlier is when everyone knows an attorney gets a third of a state a wife gets a third and a husband gets a third no that's not the way it's supposed to be and you're really upfront about that when you talk to us about listen that's not how I want to work my practice and and you don't and that's kudos to you because we need more attorneys who value that because that'll help us change how people know that they need to make options and what they need to make their options based on. No, I appreciate that. And look, knowledge is power. I love having clients and working with clients to help educate them and to recommend that they work with really a team of professionals. And as we've talked about, divorce really is a true team sport in many ways. There's the financial team, the legal team, the emotional support team working on behalf of a client to get them through what is undoubtedly and unquestionably a very, very difficult time in their life. Right. I want, to, I want to ask both of you, Catherine, starting with you. I know you went through the divorce process and what's the one piece of financial advice that as you look back based on the work that you do and how you advise your own clients that you help and you work tirelessly with, what's the one nugget of wisdom that you wish somebody told you when you were starting your divorce journey? Okay. Well, financially speaking. (laughs) Sure. (laughs) Yeah. Otherwise that's another podcast. (laughs) Go into divorce knowing that you have to make a compromise. You and your spouse are making a compromise, but my best piece of advice is know what your options are. Don't make emotional decisions, make informed decisions, knowing what your options are, and then you'll move on in a positive direction. Karen, what about you? I wish that I would have stayed in the game to really understand what my options were. I'm, I was one of those spouses who said, you know what? I don't need your stuff. I don't, I'm going to be fine. I'm going to walk away. And I did not even consider what was on the table, good or bad. I wish I would have known and then said, you know what? I know what's on the table and I'm walking away because I was disempowered because I didn't know. And so had someone said, you know what, you don't have to take anything you don't want to take, but it's important that you, because it wasn't only important for me, it was important for my kids. So I wish that someone would have said, stay in there and get the knowledge, know what you have, and then compromise to your own level of, to your own level. Yeah. It's it's about having the knowledge, having the information, and then being able to say and work with your legal team to make an informed decision. And look, at the end of the day, and Catherine, I know you mentioned this, and and we've touched on it. It's about seeing the big picture and staying in the fight and risk reward, what it's going to cost in terms of not only the legal fees and expert fees, but but the toll that it takes on you and the family in the limbo. And we're not talking about a quick process. One of the things that I see, people come in and say, Evan, am I going to be divorced tomorrow or in three months? I say, well, how about you add a zero and talk about 30 months? Because sometimes the court process really is that long. And I think part of it too, is having the information, having the transparency when it comes to financial information, financial documents at the beginning and during the process, so you can make an informed decision about how you want to proceed going forward. That's so true. And from my perspective, I thought by walking away, I was going to save the the disruption for the children. Well, guess what? None of that went away. That all remained for years and years. So what I thought I was accomplishing, I didn't accomplish at all. 
I want to ask you both, and we touched on divorce is the true team sport, and nobody does it better than the two of you. When you were planning this terrific, this wonderful divorce summit for 2022, where you have incredible professionals all over the world coming together to really provide that team of support, that community, that importance of, of helping people realize that they're not alone going through the divorce process, a time of great transition, loss hurt and you're bringing in tremendous speakers and tremendous professionals tell us about the summit and the program that you're planning for 2022 well you you hit the nail on the head when you said it's a community it's not a support group it's not for people to go there and bitch about their spouses although they can have their side off conversations when they make new friends and that's all fine and good it is pulling together great professionals all over the place, great attendees. I sometimes love the attendees more than I love the professionals and the sponsors, I hate to say it, because I'm so proud of them. I'm just, as a divorcee myself, I'm so proud of them to have courage to come, to be in a community and help us change the dialogue of how you feel as being a divorcee. I don't walk around with a big D on me and, and feel shunned because of that. I'm proud of where I am. And I don't ever think my marriage was a failure. I think it lasted as long as it was supposed to. And now I'm around a bunch of people who understand it because they've been around it. And when I went through my divorce, there wasn't a place for that. Married women, their husbands thought I was contagious or I was flirting with their spouses, which I had no interest in because I knew what they were bitching about too. So why would I want that? So it's just a great place to come and figure out what the next road is for you, whether you need to volunteer somewhere to feel accountable about something, whether you need a new job, whether you just want inspiration, whether you want advice for your kids or just feel good about it. And we're proud of it. And we're proud of the professionals who are involved because they too believe in helping us change the dialogue of this community of divorcees. And, and, and it's funny because Karen and I spoke today, we have widowers coming we have married women who are coming, who their kids went through a divorce process, and they just want this kind of inspiration to be around a group of people who are positive, who are moving forward in great directions, and to learn from one another. And I'll let Karen talk about the logistics and all the rest of it. <laughs> I get very excited about this event. As you should, because the, the truth is the two of you are really changing the way so many people think about the divorce process and, and, and there's absolutely no better way to do that than bringing people together so they know they're not alone and they can hear the stories what other people went through and on their own journey whatever that path may be things to do differently things to avoid things that if you hear or you see the red flag goes up that you can ask for help and you can ask for advice and surround yourself with people who can really help you to navigate this tough time that's true yeah, so, so many people after their divorce, they've been in turmoil for years sometimes, and then they're there. And I have this vision of a person there with a box that's half the stuff they had before. And then what do you do with all that? And so not only finding professionals, but finding that pathway forward so that you can just feel good about yourself every day and know what you're going to do. And nobody's the bad guy. It's really just about moving forward and doing the best you can every day. Karen, yeah. Catherine, I want to thank you both. This was absolutely fantastic. It was such a pleasure speaking with both of you and having you on the podcast. Tell everybody and all the listeners how people could learn more about your upcoming summit, about the work that you do and get in touch. 
Absolutely. So to get in touch with us, you can go to our website, www.mydivorcesolution.com. If you go under the events page, everything about the summit is there. If you want to speak with any of our team directly, you can email us at hello at mydivorcesolution.com. And our phone number is right on the website as well. We're happy to hear from you. And we do look forward to seeing anyone interested at the summit. It's going to be amazing. You can also go onto our WeChat Divorce Podcast and listen to our episode with Evan Shine. Great yeah. episode, great information. You're one of our favorite attorneys. Just love talking to you all the time. Well, I appreciate it. Karen, Catherine, thank you. You're changing the way people think about divorce, your wonderful financial blueprint, helping people navigate one of the hardest times of their life. Thank you for all the work that you do. And thank you for coming on the Shine On Podcast. Thank you for having us. What a show. Episode number 24 of the Shine On Podcast. It's in the books. Great stuff. Karen Chalou and Catherine Shanahan of My Divorce Solution. To all the listeners, thank you for listening to Legendary. Producer Dave. That's right. No last name. First name only. Producer Dave. Great stuff as always. Thank you. Thank you. You can find the podcast on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, and wherever else you listen to your podcast. Follow me on social media. Check out all episodes of the podcast on my website. Read my latest blogs featuring our terrific podcast guests at shineondivorce.com. I'm Evan Shine. I'll talk to you again real soon.